miracle time, church. Woo, it's miracle time. I believe your miracle is right within your reach. I believe your miracle might just be in your house. Hallelujah, it's miracle time. We serve a God of the miraculous. We serve a God that still does miracles. And why not me? Why not you? And why not right now? Hallelujah. It is miracle time. First Kings chapter 17, let's start with verse number 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Who is him? This is Elijah, God's man, God's prophet, God's voice. The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a woman, a widow woman, there to provide for you. So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, there she was, a widow woman, gathering sticks. And he called out to her and said, Please, Bring me a little cup of water that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, And while you're at it, drop by in and out and get me a hamburger. Now that is in today's vernacular. Any in and out fans out there today? Ooh, see, you felt the Holy Ghost on that right there, didn't you? He said, while you're at it, bring me a little bit of bread in your hand as well. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. I don't have any hamburgers. All I have is a little bit of flour in a bin. All I have is a little bit of oil in a jar. And looky here, I'm gathering a couple of sticks to build a fire that I may go in and prepare some bread for myself and for my son. We're going to eat it, and after that, we're going to die. Doesn't sound like a very good plan to me. How about you? But that was the woman's plan. That was the widow's plan. That was mankind's plan. That was not God's plan. It didn't end at verse number 12. There is a verse number 13. Hallelujah. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, woman. Go and do as you have said, but make for me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and then afterward make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain on the earth. Hallelujah. She went away and she did according to the word of Elijah, which, by the way, was the word of the Lord. And she and he and her household, her son, they ate for many days. And the Bible says in verse number 16, the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Elijah. Father, thank you so much for your word today. It is powerful, it is alive, it is active, and it cannot help but change us and move situations and, and move circumstances. And I pray today, God, that we would in fact have the ears to hear and the hearts that are open to receive. Speak to us, Lord. Give us our miracle today. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on and say amen. Has anybody ever felt hopeless? Anybody ever felt hopeless? Well, you can't live on this earth your entire lifetime without at some point feeling hopeless. Like the bottom has just dropped out from under you. You're at 
the end of the rope, the end of the road. Your back is in to the corner. Your back is against the wall. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. Has anybody ever felt hopeless? Two frogs fell into a barrel of cream. One looked at the sides of the barrel, and he saw it was too high to crawl over and too tall to jump out of. He looks at the other frogs and he says, it's hopeless. He resigned himself to death, relaxed himself back into the cream, and sank to the bottom and died. The other was determined to get out some way, somehow, and so he just kept on swimming. Something might just happen, he said. And sure enough, something did happen. He kept kicking, he kept paddling, he kept swimming, he kept churning. Until finally one day, he found himself on a solid platform of butter. And he jumped out of the barrel and hopped himself home. It's not hopeless. It's not over. You just got to keep on paddling. You just got to keep on kicking. You just got to keep on spinning, swimming, and churning. God is up to something. Before you know it, you're going to be out of your barrel, and you can hop yourself home. The widow in our text today, she lived in a city called Zarephath, and I believe she was at the bottom of her barrel. There had been a drought in the land. God declared and proclaimed through the man, the prophet Elijah, there will be no rain. Not even a drop of dew will come until I say so, said God. Elijah proclaims this throughout the land. There's a drought. There's no water. Here she is now at the end of her rope, the bottom of her barrel. She and her son have no more food in the, in the cupboard. She and her, her son have no more food in the house. Only just this very last bit of flour in the bin, only this very last bit of oil in the jar, we're told in verse number 12. Her plan, mankind's plan, she was going to gather sticks and make a fire take the meager ingredients that she had, make a little bit of bread or a cake of some sort, eat it, and then starve to death. Not a good plan. But see, sometimes we don't think properly, do we? Sometimes we don't see clearly, we don't think clearly, we don't respond right when we're hopeless, when we're in the drought, when we're at the bottom of The widow woman definitely needed a miracle. And it turns out she was going to get her miracle. It also turns out the miracle was in her house all along. We learned last week that the miracle was where? Come on, somebody. Mm -hmm. The miracle was in our mouths. 
Your miracle is in your mouth. And what I'm saying here is your miracle might be dependent on your ability to praise God and to worship God. Even when things are upside down, even when the enemy is, is, a, is attacking you and, and coming down on you, maybe not even even, how about especially when? We're looking for God to move his hand. He's looking for us to move our mouth. Come on, somebody. Your miracle might be in your mouth. Your miracle may be dependent upon your praise. Today, we're going to learn that the miracle might also be in your house. The widow already obtained the necessary ingredients for her miracle. Now God was about to show her the necessary steps that she should take in order to get to her miracle. Step number one. Anybody ready to take a few steps with me today? Come on, you want your miracle? You've got to take some steps. Let's take, a, let's take this first step. Step number one for her. Step number one for you. Understand that God knows the plan for your future. Come on, say, God knows the plan for my future. You need to be reminded of that. You need to have an awareness of that. There needs to be understanding that God is in control of your future. Not you, not your boss, not the, the, the media, not our government. God is in control of my future. You see, God is omniscient, church. Does anybody know what I, what I mean when I say omniscient? Come on, Miss Rose. My God is a know-it-all. <laughs> I haven't really been accused of being a know-it-all. You know, some people say he, he's a know-it-all. She's a know-it-all. I, I haven't been really accused of that because I don't know it all. I'll be the first to tell you today, I don't know hardly anything. That's how I feel sometimes. I know so little. But I also know that little becomes much when it's in the master's hand. I don't have to know a lot. I just have to know the one who knows everything. Hallelujah. I don't know everything. I know very little. But I know the one who knows it all. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing. First John chapter 3 and verse number 20 says, Even if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And God knows all things. Come on, somebody, say that with me today. God knows all things. Understand today that God knows the plans for your future. If he knows everything, then within the everything realm, your future is also included. God knows your future. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11 says, For I know the, the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You better know today that God has a plan for your future. God has a plan for your tomorrow. God has a plan for your destiny. Hallelujah. Understand that. After all, God knew Elijah's future before he even got to Zarephath and needed assistance from a widow, I'll have you perhaps this afternoon go back to the very beginning of this great chapter 
1 Kings 17. Read the first seven verses as well as 8 through 16. It'll set the, the stage properly for what we're studying today. God declared a drought in verse number one. You have your Bible open. This won't be on the screen. So just flip back one page and look at this in verse number one. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except if I say so, says the Lord. God already knew that the next several years there was not going to be rain or dew. And so because he knew that, he also knew the fallout from that. He knew the consequences that would come as a result of that because God knows everything. God knew Elijah's future. God cared for Elijah. And so because he was his spokesperson, he was going to give him the instruction and direction that he needed because of this drought. Then the word of the Lord, verses 2 through 4, look at this. The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded ravens that will come and feed you there. God under Elijah understood that God was in control of his future, that God knew the plans that he had for his future. Because of the drought, God said, go to this particular place. He spoke specifically to him as to what to do. Go to the brook called Cherith. You can drink of its water, and I will have ravens bring you food. That to me, folks, is a miracle. God provided a miracle for this prophet. But the miracle wasn't to last for the rest of his life. God provided the miracle for a period of time and for a season in Elijah's life. He goes to the brook as instructed. Sure enough, the water is clean and fresh, and he's able to drink this and, and be sustained by it. Sure enough, on a daily basis, ravens come and bring him food. But the brook dries up. The ravens are commanded by God to then not come anymore. If he commanded them to come, then at some point he commanded them don't go because they stopped bringing the food. And so then Elijah's like, what do I do next? Well, in verses 8 and 9, God tells him what to do. The word of the Lord came to Elijah again. He said, now get up from where you are and go to this new city. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Stay there for a while. I've already spoken to a widow woman, and I've commanded her to provide for you. The problem is, folks, too many people are wanting to stay at the brook Cherith and are waiting on ravens to too many people want to stay at this place in their life where God did a miracle for them and they were sustained by God, they were provided by God, but God says that was then and I've got something else for I, that I want you to do and I want to do for you, but you've got to move from where you were to get to where I want you to be now. It's not time to stay at the brook Cherith. It's time to get on to the new city. It's time to get on to the new place. It's time to get on to the today miracle. Come on, somebody. I thank God for everything he's done for me in the past, but I must not stay there. I cannot live there, and nor can you. 
time to arise and get on to the next place, get on to the new city. God's already been orchestrating. God's already been manipulating and moving on people and situations for our tomorrow. Why? Because we have to understand that God knows our tomorrow and he holds the plan for our tomorrow. He knew the He knew Elijah's future. He also knew the widow's future. The drought that was declared affected everyone. It affected the man of God, and so God, because he cared for the man of God, the prophet of God, the voice of God, naturally he's going to provide and sustain him and protect him, right? Of course. But he also cared about a widow woman who was lonely, hopeless, starving. Sometimes we think God only is caring maybe for the elite and the called missionaries, evangelists, the pastors, whatever. Listen, folks, God knows your name. God knows where you live. God sees the, the, the rich and the poor, every race of skin, every tribe and every island. God cares for and God knows. God knew the widow's future. He knew she would be out of food. No, no meat, no bread, just a little flour and just a little oil. That's all she had. He knew even what she would be thinking in her hour of desperation and depression. You don't think about dying and killing yourself, perhaps, unless you're desperate and depressed. He knew this. And so he sent the help just in time. Wasn't it just in time? Well, that, that's what I thought. That's probably what the widow thought. But you see, Floyd, my just-in-time is God's right-on-time. Oh, I don't know if everybody heard that or not. Maybe you didn't grab that or not. My just-in-time is God's right-on-time. God may never be late, but he's also very seldom early. But when God moves in, in his time, it is perfect timing, and it is right on time. God knew where the widow lived. He even named her city, and he said, she'll be there. I've already, I've already spoken with her. I've already commanded her. Wow. Commanded her to provide for you. Go on. Arise from where you are and go. He knew Elijah's future. He knew the widow's future. He knows your future. The God that we sing to today, the God that we pray to today, He knows your future. He holds your tomorrow. One of my favorite hymns was written by a great, great writer. I had the privilege of meeting this man before he died. He wrote many, many hymns and many choruses but one of my favorites by Ira Stanfield is called, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. Oh, listen to these words today, friends. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him for he knows what is ahead. Every step 
is getting brighter as the golden stairs I climb. Every burden's getting lighter. Every cloud is silver lined. There the sun is always shining. There no tear will dim the eye. At the ending of the rainbow, where the mountains touch the sky, I don't know about tomorrow. It may bring me poverty, but the one who feeds the sparrow, he's the one who stands by me. And the path that be my portion may be through the flame or flood, but his presence goes before me and I'm covered with his blood. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know he holds my hand. Step number one, friends, is an understanding that God knows the plans for your future, which thrusts us into step number two. If we understand and have full knowledge that God is in control, then we must then taking notes, I want you to jot this down. I've got to trust God's plan for my future. Mm. Now we're kind of stepping into some different territory right here, I think. I once heard it said, faith is holding on, clinging, grasping. I have faith in Jesus. I know he's holding my hand. That's faith right there. Trust is letting go. Faith is the seen. Trust is the unseen. With your knowledge and understanding that God is in control of your, your future and the plans that he has for your future, you must trust God's plan for your future. Elijah trusted God's plan. You see, it says that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And then it's repeated. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Because we have the Bible in its entirety... And we know the starting point of Genesis 1-1. And we know the ending point of Revelation 20. We know everything in between. We've read it. Some of us have read it so many times. Some of us read the entire Bible every year. Good for you. If you don't, I challenge you to do so. We, what a great map that we have here. Elijah didn't have Elijah had to just trust in God by the word that God spoke to him. He wasn't sitting and reading the New Testament. <laughs> he didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have the Old Testament. Right? We've got to remember that. God spoke to men like Elijah and Moses and different ones. They had to hear his voice, and then they had to learn to trust him. Elijah had heard the voice. 
I think that he no doubt probably remembered other times that God had spoken to him and reflected back when God had prompted him and led him to do other things and to speak on his behalf and declare, thus says the Lord to people. Well, here he is speaking again, wanting him to declare a, a, a famine in, in the land, declare to everybody there's not going to be any rain or dew until the Lord says so. That's not easy words to tell somebody. It's better and, and easier to tell them, God said he's going to send the rain tomorrow morning. Isn't that nice? God said he's going to send the manna. God said he's going to send the quail. God said he's going to part the Red Sea. Boy, we like all that. God said I'm not going to let it rain or even a drop of dew come. That's hard words. That's a hard word right there. We have to know, thus says the Lord, and when he speaks, we need to be obedient. Amen? Elijah trusted God's plan because he knew God's voice. He remembered God's faithfulness in the past, and he had learned over time that that voice was trustworthy. The widow also trusted God's plan. The widow. Here she is, minding her own business, gathering up some sticks so she can build a little fire and make her last supper, eat it, and then die. What happens? Look at verse number 10 again. Elijah arose, he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, there she was, the widow woman, gathering up sticks, and he calls to her and he says, Hey, do you mind? Bring me a cup of water. Now remember, there's a drought, there's a famine. Drought and famine go hand in hand. Without any water, you're not going to grow crops. No water means no food. The most valuable commodity, very possibly in the day, is what Elijah asked for. She would have probably more gladly went and got any bit of valuables that she had, any, any precious gems or, or silver or gold because water was far more valuable in a, in a day of drought and in a time of famine. What does he ask for from the widow woman? The thing that was of most value. Go and get me some water. The Bible doesn't give us any dialogue whatsoever other than she was going to get it. She just was going to go and trust God on her way, and so he says, now wait a minute, there, there's more. I'm hungry too. I'm hungry. So would you bring me back some bread? All she does is try to explain at least. As the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Truth be told, all I have is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and my plan was to make a little bread for myself and my son, and then we're going to die. And Elijah explains to her, well, God has something else in store. She trusted in God's plan because she knew God's voice. How do, we, how do we know that she knew God's voice? Her language, for one thing. Look at what verse number 12 says. She said to Elijah, as the Lord your God lives, you don't, you don't talk like this. You don't use these kind of words unless you're also familiar with the Lord your God. 
her, her language lets us know that she was a God-fearing woman, but also God himself is language. Because God told Elijah, I've already spoken to her. I've already commanded her. I've already prepared her for your arrival. So we know that she already knew the voice of God as well. And when God spoke to her, she trusted his voice. Elijah trusted God's plan and God's voice. The widow trusted God's plan and God's voice. Church, you too must trust God's plan and God's voice. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And look what the Bible says is going to happen. He shall direct your path. He'll direct your path because he holds your path. He created your path. He knows your tomorrow. He knows your future. You've got to trust him. And you have to do so with all your heart, without reservation, without hesitation, without complication. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because your own understanding of things won't make sense to you. God's trying to work on a supernatural realm and we're trying to figure it out on the natural realm. Right? Did y'all get that? Our natural ability, our natural minds cannot reason with God's supernatural ability. Let him work in the supernatural. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's what's going to blow everybody's mind, including yours, when God creates something out of nothing, when God turns something around on the verge of disaster and on the, on the brink of collapse. That, that way God gets all the glory, and you can't say, look at what I did with God. God did it all. God did it all. But you've got to trust him, church. You've got to trust him. When things don't make sense, Trust God's plan. When you can't see the end result, trust in God's plan. When your own heart tells you differently, trust in God's plan. When other people think you're crazy and have lost your mind for doing it God's way, do it God's way anyhow and trust in his plan. How many would say today, Pastor, I want to trust in God's plan? Come on, I want to see your hand today if you'll say, I'm going to trust in God's plan. Well, I've got something to say to you. Prove it. Well, I'm sorry. We can say we're going to trust God's plan all day long, but the proof of your trust Oh, we were just thrust right into that third step. You didn't even know it. You didn't even feel it. Understand that God knows the plan for your future, step one. Okay, all right, God's got my future. Now I'm going to take another step and I'm going to trust Him. Good, that's just step number two right there. Feels pretty good though. But we've got to prove that we're trusting God. It can't just be with our words. So what is it? Obedience. Obedience, and listen to me now, is the activation switch. It is the launch button that signals the rocket to go. Right? Obedience activates God's plan for your future. 
him with my future, but I don't want to obey. You just defaulted on, on the future that God had for you. You defaulted right there. You can't take steps one and two and then decide I'm not going to take step number three. <laughs> You've got to go all the way. You've got to go all the way. Elijah did. Elijah did the first time the word of the Lord came to him. Because he said, arise from where you are. He, look at this in verse number five. Elijah did according to the word of the Lord. He got up and he went and he stayed at the brook Cherith. He found the water there to drink. Sure enough, the ravens came and sustained him and provided for him. He, he, he knew God had his future. He trusted in God's plan for his future. But the trust was proven when he obeyed God's plan. And his obedience was the activation. Because had he just said, well, I'm not going to do that, God. I don't think that's a good plan. That brook doesn't have very much water in it. Everybody knows that. Ravens, you expect me to eat from ravens, one of some of the dirtiest birds? Right? A raven. Of all the birds that God could have named, he names one of the, the ones that, that, you know, they're, they're scavengers. Ravens eat it all themselves. They'll kill another bird in order to get the food for themselves. They're going to drop food for me. That's a crazy plan, Thomas. That's a crazy plan, Rose. Congratulations to the newlyweds right here. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I love it. Crazy plan. I don't think I like that plan. I don't think that's a very good plan, God. So we stay at step two, which really is not, then it backs us all the way up because we're not trusting then and we're out of step altogether because we don't have a full understanding that God's in control we think now we're in control he trusted God to lead him to the brook the brook dried up the ravens stopped their delivery God said I've got another plan for you now I want you to go to a new place to a new city I've already spoken to a widow woman. She's going to provide for you. So what did Elijah do? Verse number 10, he arose and he went. You know what it says? So he arose and went. It is what it says. How many believe the Bible is true? Come on now. Elijah took steps of obedience. And every step of obedience that he took was an activation to God. It was a signal to God. Start the miracle. Let the miracle begin. I trust you in the middle of the drought. I trust you in the middle of the famine. I trust you with my life, with my wife. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my finances. Mm -hmm. Elijah trusted. Elijah obeyed. The widow obeyed. And a miracle sequence was launched for her as well. Let me reread a few verses that we've already read, but you've got to get this today. Glean this today. L look at verse number 10 again. So Elijah arose, he went to Zarephath, Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, there she was, the widow woman, gathering up the sticks. And he calls out to her and he says, Hey! 
bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her a second time and said, Also, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said to him, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have any bread. I only have a, a little bit of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And look here, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and build a fire, prepare the food for myself and for my son. We're going to eat it and we're going to die. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me, and afterward then make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the, the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. Look at verse number 15. We're talking about the widow now obeying what God instructed her to do. Verse number 15, so she went away and she did according to the word of Elijah, which, by the way, is according to the word of the Lord. In her most desperate hour, she obeyed God. And what was the proof of her obedience to God? Our proof of trusting God is our obedience. The proof of our obedience... Anybody? It's giving. It's giving. The proof of your obedience, it is action, but the action was, the verb was, she gave. She gave in her most desperate hour of her life. When we get desperate, we think that's the time to withhold. It's not the time to withhold. It is the time Also, she gave out of her need. She could have told this guy, I don't think so. You're crazy. I mean, look around here. People are, people are being laid in the street at this point, very possibly. We're not told that, but think about drought and famine and starvation. Once they die, they bring them out to the, the streets to be hauled off in the carts. And they take them to an area and they, they burn them. That's what happens in a, in a time of, of drought and famine. It still happens to this day, sadly. Are you kidding? You can smell death in the air. And you're wanting me to give you my last bit. She gave to God out of her need. We've got it all messed up, church. We think once God blesses me, once I scratch off the game and I win the <laughs> whatever it is, Listen, I don't, I don't participate in the lottery. I, think I probably should have made some clarity right there. I don't go and buy tickets or anything like that at all, ever. I did know where to scratch, but I don't do all that. I'm going to get in trouble today. You know what? We think once... God blesses me to this degree or to this point or at this level, then I'm going to start giving to God. Baloney! If you can't give to God right here, you'll never give to God up here. You need to give God in your hour of desperation. You need to give God out of your need. And look at this. 
Not only did she give in her hour of, of greatest desperation, not only did she give out of her need, she gave to God first. Oh, ho, 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 I like this. He said, well, you go and make it, but give me the first portion. You bring me the first morsel. Let me eat first, the man of God says, and then you go and make it for yourself and for your son. That, that, that doesn't make sense either. I mean, think about a mother. A mother is, is, is a force to be reckoned with when you start messing with her children. You're going to take food out of my son's mouth? I don't think so. Right? A mom could be thinking like this. But what, she, what did she do? She understood God was in control of her future. She knew his voice, and so she trusted God for her future, and her trust was proven by her obedience. Her obedience was proven by her ability to give. She gave to God first. Her giving activated the miracle flow from God. Look at verse number 16. Powerful. Because she obeyed, the Bible says at the bottom of 15, you know what, Matt, back it up one more, just the very last portion. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her son and her whole household ate for many days, verse 16, and if that wasn't enough, the bin of flour was not used up, the jar of oil did not run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to her by the prophet Elijah. <laughs> her step of faith and her courage to obey and give to God out of her need to give to God first activated a flow of the miraculous. And scholars speculate that this miracle lasted for possibly up to three years. Every time she'd go to the flower bin, there was flour. Every time she went to the oil jar, there was oil for possibly three years. She never replenished the flour. She never replenished the oil. It was by the supernatural hand of God. The flour was there. The oil was there. And through the drought and through the famine, the widow and her son and her household were sustained and provided for. My Lord Jesus. Her giving finally was an act of faith. <laughs> Big faith. A lot of faith. I mean, that takes some faith to give the last bit that you have because you believe God said to do it. We serve a miracle-working God. I said we serve a miracle-working God. Obedience activates God's plan for your future. It did for Elijah. It did for the widow. I believe it will for you too. Because not only did Elijah need to obey, not only did the widow need to obey, you need to obey. In your most desperate hour, obey the voice of God and the word of the Lord to you. Out of your need, give to God. Give to God first. Give to God.
God's children taking their paychecks and paying all of their bills and all of their needs and then paying their tithe, if there's anything left, those days should be part of our past and not part of our today and certainly not part of our tomorrow. If you have done that in the past, then thank God that he has matured you and caused you to grow in faith and given you, given you wisdom today. No excuses. Now, once you receive the teaching and you have the understanding, there's no excuses. You have to put God first in your giving and watch him create a miracle for you. He did it for, for, for Elijah. He did it for the widow. I believe he can do it for you. The miracle, it turns out, is right there in her house. The Palmer Christian Center, I believe our miracle is right here in our house. We need a miracle today. Our roof has leaked for several years. We have patched and repaired and ignored. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Justified why we wouldn't try to just put the whole thing back on and just start from scratch. And finally, the board said, we said together as a board, we need to do this and we need to do it this year. Now, some may say, and may think in your heart, well, Pastor, I know what the finances look like because I get the report every year. And we have more than enough to just take care of that within our banking account. I thought the same thing. But see, the, the word of the Lord came to me. And God spoke to me. I mean, the board and I seriously looked at how we could do this and could we, could we do it within what we already have, and we could. But it's not always a matter of could we. Sometimes it's a matter of should we. Because, I mean, if we do the uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, let's be honest, we're talking about miracles today. First of all, God could cause it to rain on every other bit of property except La Palma Christian Center. Could he not do that? Absolutely. Or he could cause the rain to still come on La Palma Christian Center, but the faulty areas, somehow, supernaturally, they wouldn't be faulty anymore, and the rain wouldn't leak through. Could God not do that? But he had an option to do either one of those things. The rain has come and the leaks have leaked. We're sitting around going, God, could you do a miracle? Could you send some tar on the roof? I mean, we pray all kinds of crazy stuff sometimes. We're waiting on God to move, and he's waiting on us to move. He's saying the miracle's already, the ingredients are already in the house. Mm -hmm. I mean, God could do it any number. He could have, he could recreate a roof himself. He could have re-roofed this in one night, in one minute. Snap of a finger, we got a new roof, and God did. I mean, there's, there's stories of people uh, who've lost organs, kidneys that were removed, and somehow supernaturally, 
They go to take an x-ray, and it's there. Because that's how big our God is. So I'm just saying, God could do this in a number of ways. Let me tell you how he wants to do it. <laughs> he wants to do this miracle with you and I involved. That's how he wants to do it. It's a $100,000 miracle that we need. Actually, the, the, the total came in. It's $101,000 and change. That's where we landed. Isn't that something? We thought it was going to be a right around $100,000. We were actually praying that it would be a little bit less. Turns out it ended up being a little bit more. Because once you get to tearing off the roof, there's all kinds of stuff that you didn't see and they didn't see and so forth. But I just thought, and I told the board, I think the miracle's in the house. I think the miracle is right here among us as we all together, we all together do our part. Karen and I are doing our part. We want to lead the way, in fact, in the miracle. The need is $100,000. The challenge is $500 per family. Now, some can do more than that, and I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to those who can do 1,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 of it. Those who can't do the 500, don't sit back and say, because I can't do the 500, I, I don't feel I should do anything. You should do something. You should do what you can. Give out of your desperation. Give out of your need. Give to God first. Give in faith today. And let's believe God for a miracle at La Palma Christian Center. Are you ready for this today? It's our miracle day. Come on and hold up your miracle offering as the ushers hurriedly come down to the front. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today that you have provided for our needs, Lord. You have sustained us through the drought and through the famine of our lives. In our time of desperation and, and hopelessness, God, you have somehow in some way came through. It seemed like in just the nick of time in our minds, but in your mind and in your heart, it was right on time because we believe today, God, that your timing is perfect. And we trust you today. We pray, God, that you would bless what we do. Lord, I pray that you would breathe on our efforts and breathe on these monies, Lord, and let a miracle occur today at La Palma Christian Center. All for your glory, all for your praise. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen.
serve a great and mighty God. Folks, tonight we're going to have a night of prayer. I felt so impressed to call this church to prayer tonight. Prayer for our future that God is holding. Prayer for your future personally. I want you to come as we gather around to give God praise, but also to bring to Him some needs said my house shall be called what a house of prayer I think we would do well to remember that and let this house function in that role more often so come and join me tonight the board of elders our pastors come and join us for prayer let's seek the face of God also next week is our Labor Day weekend we are having one service next week this kind of snuck up on me, and I didn't get it in the bulletin like I normally like to. I'm sorry about that. So help me spread the word. This is kind of what we've done this entire year on holiday weekends. We have combined all of our Sunday services into one service, and it's worked very well for us. So let's do that again next week, 10 o'clock. We will all gather here. There will be no 815, and the 1030 will start at 10 o'clock, and there's no PM service next week as well. So. Pastor Dave, would you come and dismiss us in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your, your mighty hand upon us. We're thankful, God, that, that you love us and that you hold the future in, in your hand, oh God. Lord, we ask that you would just guide us and continue to lead us, Father. Help us to be obedient, Father, to your plan exactly, Father. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. God, I pray that you would be with us as we go our separate ways. Bring us back to pray tonight, and we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.